Welcome to Questions and Ethics with Russell Moore, where we apply the gospel of the kingdom to cultural issues and your questions about the Christian life. You know, back when I used to teach seminary ethics classes, I would always end the semester with a case study that the students would have to address. And one of the, one of those years, the case study was about a, a time in the distant future when artificial intelligence technology has been perfected and uh, the, the cloning of body parts has been perfected. And there's a, a little kid in your congregation named Aiden who has been designed with cloned body parts kind of patched together Frankenstein-like. And his, his mind, his brain, is a computer operating system, but one with artificial intelligence. So he, he thinks on his own, he makes decisions on his own, and he even has emotion. He, he feels on his own. And so the, the scenario was, Aiden comes to you and he says, um, I'm, I'm really, I feel guilty. Uh, I feel as though I've sinned against God, and I want to trust Jesus. I want to believe the gospel, and I want to be baptized. Uh, And the question is, do you offer the gospel to Aiden? Because is the gospel offered to Aiden? Is Aiden, in fact, even a human person? And the reason I asked that question uh, is not because I necessarily think that's going to happen, but because I wanted my students to think about a scenario that isn't something that's happening around them right now, but to be able to try to evaluate theologically, what it means to be a person, what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God, and to start thinking along those lines with issues they're not facing right now immediately in their offices. And I thought about Aiden this week when I read a really fascinating article by one of my favorite journalists, Matt Lewis, who always writes, no one writes like Matt Lewis writes. He writes about really interesting issues with uh, amazing insight. So I always read everything that he writes. But he wrote one the other day that when I first read the title, I thought this could be one of my final exams in an ethics class. It was called, Would You Have Sex with a Robot? And dealt with the question of people using robots as sex toys, uh, essentially, sometime out there in the the near to distant uh, future. And I have Matt Lewis on the line with me today. Matt is senior contributor to The Daily Caller. He's a columnist for the magazine The Week, and he does uh, television commentary for, for all the networks all the time. And Matt, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. What prompted you to think about the issue of, of all things having sex with a robot? Uh, a few things. I mean, first, this is one of those rare occasions where I think writing, you know, usually I have to make the choice between writing something that's kind of clickable, you know, that actually gets attention, or writing something that's kind of substantive. And I think this was a perfect example of the two things merging, where we could take a topic that uh, that was sexy, that a lot of people were probably going to click on, but use it as a jumping off point to actually have a a much larger discussion about morals and ethics and values and all sorts of things like that. The other thing is, I honestly think that um, it's very important that we have these, that we sort of think through things before they happen. You know, Mm -hmm. the old saying like, um, you know, after you've been out at a bar and had a few drinks, it's too late then to decide if you're going to be faithful in your marriage, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that with the the sort of rapid uh, change of, of technology, uh, it's sort of too late to wait until things happen. We really have to think through these things because although I know this sounds like a science fiction you know, fantasy, it, this could be something that we or our children really do have to wrestle with. 
And, and you note in your in your article that there was a there was survey uh, data uh, accumulated that says that one in five uh, United Kingdom residents would be willing to have sex with robots right now. Right, and those are the people who are honest enough to admit to it. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I think you're right. And one, one of the things that, that this made me think about is I had a conversation with a pastor uh, that has stuck with me uh, for, for a long time because he was talking about doing pastoral counseling. And he said, you know, he's, I realized one week after doing pastoral counseling with all sorts of people who were confessing to me their, their sins and their struggles, that 95% of the things that I was dealing with and hearing about would not have been physically possible when I first started out in ministry, because technology has just created, especially through internet pornography, uh, an entirely different sort of world than what he would have ever imagined at the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, I think a couple things are are happening. One, whether you believe in evolution or not, I mean, it's clear that that our brains are are essentially the same as they were, you know, say 2,000 years ago. And yet the amount of information that we are confronted with is, is just dramatically more intense. And it's not just information. It's not just me checking my iPhone, you know, whereas my dad could clock out at 5 o'clock. It's not, it's not just me checking my, my iPhone and being inundated with tweets and emails. Mm-hmm. But it's also the temptations. I mean, marketers have studied because that's how they get paid. You know, how, how do we make food taste better? How do we sell cheeseburgers, make them more enticing? How do we make sex more appealing? I mean, we are basically operating with the same brains that we've had, you know, since the time of Christ and, and long before that. And yet the temptation uh, that technology and that science uh, throws at us, I think, is, is increasing. And so we're struggling with that. And it, it really becomes a very difficult thing. And I think that, um, you know, look, I wouldn't want to trade places with past generations. I mean, they had their own struggles and, and challenges. But I do think we are also at a unique period in history. Uh, you know, it used to be, if, if you wanted to... You know, if you wanted to engage in in pornography or or, or something, you had to get in a car mm-hmm. and drive to a seedy, you know, movie theater or, mm-hmm. or or bookstore. Right now, I mean, everybody's got a computer, yeah. everybody's got an iPhone, and it's pretty easily accessible. So the, it's just the temptation, I think, is. Uh, and, and the sort of the discreteness of it. Well, what happens when we all have robots? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't like going and buying an inflatable doll. And I'm, you know, I know this is a family program, so I won't, I won't be too graphic. But Thank what you. if what if that happens? You know. Well, and and I think you're right. When it comes to the the porn issue, it's not just when someone gets in the car and has to drive to that seedy part of town. It's not just that that person is making a decision to possibly be seen. I think there's something about the psychology of having to say, I'm the kind of person who will walk into this movie theater, or I'm the type of person that will go behind that curtain in the video store and, and stand there and hand that video to, to this person. It gives a sense of premeditation that Internet pornography has removed uh, in an illusion has removed because someone can act as though, oh, I'm not the sort of person who would become involved in this, but this just sort of happened. It's just something that just kind of, it's there and it, and it happened to me. And that's what technology can do. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think, I think it, it works on multiple levels. I mean, one level is just the amount of time, the premeditation, right? It's the thing where, 
if you walk into your house and find your wife in bed with another man and in a fit of rage grab a gun and shoot him, you you might not you know you might not get the death penalty, but if you plan out somebody's murder for weeks in advance, that that's premeditation. And uh, so I think it's it's part of it's a sort of speed and convenience, mm-hmm. but part of it I think also is that it used to be that you know if you were the kind of person who went you know, to one of those theaters or a dirty bookstore. I mean, they were unseemly, you know, you might be, you might be seen and uh, you would have to sort of admit that you're like uh, a degenerate, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but what if you're sitting in your nice air conditioned office and mm-hmm. you just want to, you know, go over, visit a website for a few minutes? Well, that's not, that doesn't seem quite so bad. And that's one of the reasons why I think that this this article is good as a, a way of, of provoking our thinking to say, what does it mean when technology continues to advance on? I mean, when uh, I heard uh, Ray Kurzweil, the, the, the famous uh, utopian, I would say dystopian transhumanist, uh, who really is, is essentially he's just arguing, let's all get ready for our, our robot overlords. But he was arguing about what's going to happen as technology advances uh, to say that, that sooner or later virtual reality is going to seem as real as real reality because it's going to be able to involve all of the senses. Uh, and so even if there's not physical hardware of robots, I think it is, it is very conceivable to think that 20 years from now, our churches and congregations are going to have to be dealing with people who are having the exact same virtual experience as adultery. There's just not anyone real involved. Absolutely. And I think that's really the crux of, of what I'm getting at. Um, and look, I mean, I, you want to talk, there will be people, <laughs> there will be people who argue that this is a good thing. Yeah. That, look, you know, um, maybe, maybe we should be using this for sex therapy. Mm. You know, couples who are having sincere problems, this could be used to help. Uh, help overcome that, or maybe look. Maybe we should say this is a good thing because because of the fact that we're having virtual reality, uh, there's going to be less real cheating and less families destroyed and less human trafficking. I mean, I predict that you'll you'll see people uh, arguing that this is in fact a positive good mm-hmm. for family values at some point. Uh, which I think is, you know, pernicious, but yeah. I think it's also predictable. Yeah, well, and, and you mentioned this in the article, too. A lot of that has to do with the way that for so long some people have argued against immorality, uh, for, for lack of a better word here, to talk about the whole the whole spectrum of, of things here, simply in terms of consequences. Uh, and if you, in fact, do have this kind of virtual person involved, there's not unplanned pregnancy, there's not STDs, there's not someone who's being hurt. So is there, in fact, even a moral component uh, left? Uh, I would argue there certainly is. But if all we've said is, you know, don't do this because somebody might get pregnant or somebody might get a disease, that argument doesn't work. Right. And that's really one of the big arguments. And it's a very kind of a libertarian thing, you know, just don't hurt anybody else. Mm -hmm. And this would presumably not hurt anybody else. It's a victimless crime, except for the person committing it. Yeah, and you know, another thing I think that this these sorts of things kind of bring to the forefront is that conversation that you mentioned a few minutes ago about whether or not simply 
consent and harm, if, if that's all that matters uh, when it comes to morality. And, and I'll tell you where this came up for me in recent days. It had, had nothing to do with, with sex with robots. Uh, but I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Slate Political Gabfest. Uh, the other day, and they were talking about Don Sterling, uh, the the notorious racist uh, Clippers uh, owner, uh, and about uh, about all of his vile statements about about race and the aftermath of that. But in the middle of that, the conversation came forward about this man being uh, involved with a woman who essentially was fifty years younger than he is, and, and someone threw out the question: Is that immoral in and of itself? And, and everyone on the panel said yes. And he said, well, is it, is it creepy or is it immoral? And they all said, both. Uh, and, and then just kind of moved on. And I thought, you know, that, that's really interesting because I doubt that the, that same group of people would have said that about all sorts of other issues. But for some reason, they could see the clarity of the fact that this is just, it, it feels creepy to us and it's wrong. It shouldn't happen. No, I think, I think you're exactly right. And I think we probably conflate creepy with uh, with immoral and wrong and, and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And, I mean, I know this is a weird topic, you know, to even to be talking about or writing about. But, I mean, I, you know, I've got two little, two little boys, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing that really makes you think, I mean, what kind of world are they going to have and what kind of what kind of like challenges are they going to face that that we could have never imagined? I mean, yeah. this is a temptation, and and it, it's a temptation that like you know your your robot's not going to sue you for child support. Your mm-hmm. robot's not going to you know put put your bunny in a blender and and, and threaten to tell your wife. I mean, mm-hmm. this this seems to be a pretty neat, tidy thing that could just sort of you know. I mean, it seems like a very tempting thing, and I suspect the technology uh, will, will someday make this a very real, you know, challenge. Yeah, and and as you mentioned a few minutes ago, if you had gone back in a time machine and said to people in 1990, "Hey, you're really going to need to get ready for the day when you're going to have this little device that's going to be the size of an index card that's going to be have you connected with the entire world all of the time, where you'll have access to any bit of information you might possibly want," that would have sounded like the Jetsons to them. It would have. I mean, I have to confess, like, when, you know, over the years, I've seen a lot of stories, you know, or, or about sex with robots, believe it or not. I must read some weird <laughs> things. I've seen this pop up. But I was really afraid that I had fallen for a ruse. I mean, mm-hmm. before I wrote this, before I hit publish, because there are these sites that are like parodies and satire. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes journalists fall for it. You know, they will end up embarrassed by reporting on something that a study that's just completely bogus, you know, from the onion or something. And I was like, I went through to like, make sure, you know, to verify that this was in fact legit, because even I was thinking, you know, this one in five, you know, Brits would have <laughs> sex with a robot. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, but it, this is the world in which we live. It, it was a real story. Well, and it's already starting to, to show up in popular culture, the movie Her, uh, where, where a man falls in love with an operating device, uh, essentially. That, that's, that's already there and present. And I think what this really uh, calls us to do is to have a, a thick understanding of morality, 
where we're able to think through what do we think it means to to be a human being? What do we think sexuality is about and sexuality is for? So it's not simply about the firing of, of neurons. To be able to think about those things in a, in a deeply reflective sort of way so that we're able to prepare a next generation to be able to make moral decisions regardless of whatever kind of freakish technology is out there for them to encounter. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this means that you have to be very intentional and very, uh, you have to really think through in ways that other humans didn't have to. Um, in some ways, our challenges are greater because this is more seductive um, and, and tempting, and, and, and it's not black and white, you know. <clears throat> this is sort of like, I mean, I used, when I was a kid, I used to think, well, I could never go to jail because that would mean like, you know, getting in a car, putting on a ski mask, walking into a bank with a gun, right? You'd have to try to do something mm-hmm. to get sent to jail. Well, now maybe if you didn't fill out a proper expense report on your FEC filing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now you could go to jail for that. And, and, and so it's like a we've now created a position where it's like you don't have to decide you're going to cheat on your wife and, like, get in a car and drive some pl- to some motel, um, this is much more seductive and, and arguably dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think being very, you know, uh, intentional about things and, and thinking things through is vital. To summarize Johnny Cash, who, who actually was kind of summarizing uh, the book of Proverbs, we, we've got to keep a close watch on this heart of ours. Well, thanks so much, Matt Lewis. The article is called Would You Have Sex with a Robot? And I really appreciate your thinking through these issues with me today. Always appreciate your writing. My pleasure, and thank you for having me on. If you'd like to submit a question, email us at questions at erlc.com. That's questions at erlc.com. Or on Twitter and Facebook, use the hashtag AskRDM. Thanks for listening to the Questions and Ethics podcast with Russell Moore. To check out future broadcasts, subscribe via iTunes or visit us on ERLC.com.